Take your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 16. That's where we will uh, begin, at least this morning. We're going to be uh, in Matthew and then in the book of 1 Peter as well. So uh, you might want to find that and um, mark it, mark 1 Peter, and then turn back to Matthew chapter 16. We're, we're continuing, and next week we will finish up this, this kind of six-week series we were looking at asking, who are we as the body of Christ? And, and what that means, uh, what it means to be part of the body of Christ. And uh, this morning we look at a crucified people. Uh, so on the back of your uh, worship guide there will be an outline, three simple points. Uh, not real complicated this morning. But what does it mean to be a crucified people? Uh, so far we've seen uh, the body of, we are the body of Christ, we are the temple of God. We're the presence of the future. Then what we said there is we have the opportunity as uh, the body of Christ uh, gathered together. We, we have the opportunity to catch glimpses here and there of the eternity that we will spend with Christ in heaven. Having fellowship with one another. Having fellowship with Christ. We get to see kind of shadows of that uh, here and now. And knowing one day that we'll experience the full reality of, of perfect fellowship with God and perfect fellowship with one another. And last week, uh, which apparently I didn't change the title slide. So uh, we looked at we're one holy apostolic church. We're a people set apart and a people sent out is, is simply what that means as we gather together. So this morning, we're looking at what it means to be a crucified people. Um, so if you will, turn with me to Matthew 16. I was going to make some marks, but, but this will say it better than I could. So, so turn to Matthew 16. Uh, starting in verse 24. And let's stand together as we read the word that the Lord has for us this morning. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you just for the opportunity to gather here together. And, and this morning, will you show us what it means to be a people who are crucified for your sake, a people who have laid down their own lives in order that we might follow after you. Uh, show us this morning what it means to take up our cross and follow after you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. You can have a seat. So, so the first thing that we're going to see that we, uh, out of this passage is that when it comes to being a crucified people, God's people deny themselves. They deny themselves. That's exactly what Jesus uh, calls his followers to do here. He calls them to, uh, to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow after him. Now, any type of discipline requires a certain degree of denial, any type of self-discipline. So if you're trying to lose weight, you're going to deny yourself some calories or else you will never lose weight. That's how it works, right? You have to deny yourself some stuff. It means you, you don't go for the cake. Um, if you are, 
if you're trying to take a vacation, you want to take a vacation with your family, you're going to have to deny yourself some purchases in order to save money up. Or you could be like any other red-blooded American and just put it on the visa and it'll pay for itself, right? Because that's how that works. No. No. So if you want to responsibly take a vacation, you have to deny yourself some things and save up. Um, but here's the thing. Christians, we don't just deny ourselves ourselves to lose a couple of pounds or to take a fancy vacation, Christians are called to deny themselves for the sake of godliness. Now, if we look again at this passage, um, we're going to see that Jesus calls his followers in verse 24 to take up their cross. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, Keep in mind the context here, right? Because a cross in those days would not have been simply something that people wore around their neck as a nice piece of jewelry. A cross was a tool of execution. So maybe in a, in a more contemporary uh, image, imagine Jesus saying, take up your electric chair and come follow me. Right? We haven't reached the point in our society yet where folks are wearing electric chairs on necklaces, right? And so... In, in Jesus' day, the, this, I think this whole idea of folks wearing crosses around their necklaces would have been a little odd because the cross was the, the most horrific, torturous form of death that, that I think has ever been imagined by man. And here Jesus says, if you're going to come after me, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. And his, his followers, his disciples would have known exactly what he was saying there. That to follow after him means that there's a high degree of certainty you are going to literally lose your life in a very unpleasant way for being a follower of Christ. And we see this in the way that, that each of the disciples' life ends, except for John, who wrote the Revelation, and for Judas, who went and hung himself after he betrayed Christ. Every other disciple to a man died a martyr's death. Four of them, four out of the remaining, what's that, ten, died by crucifixion. Peter, history tells us, was crucified upside down because he said, I am not worthy to die in the same manner as my Lord. And so the Romans, who were really good at killing people, said, all right. I mean, he, he requested to, to be crucified upside down. And, and I kind of get the sense that these sick, twisted Roman soldiers went, well, we had never done it that way before, so let's see what happens. Peter, Andrew, Bartholomew, and Philip were all crucified. Others were burned alive, beheaded. One was even thrown off the temple and beaten. Just in case throwing him off the temple didn't do it, they then beat him until they knew for sure that he was dead. These, these guys died really, really horrific deaths because of their faith in Christ. And then later, it got worse. You had these, the Roman emperors Nero and Diocletian who, uh, who decided they were going to kind of break out this persecution against believers unlike anything that had been set, uh, that they had seen before in order to try and kill this movement of, of Christianity. So they would routinely flay and impale believers, or, this is really messed up, they would cover them in oil and set them on fire and use them as lampposts to light the way to Rome. So, so now imagine you're walking down the road and on either side there are 
bodies being burned to serve as streetlights. Some were thrown to lions and torn apart or drowned in the sea. So for the early believers and for millions of believers even today around the world, to be a follower of Christ literally means you have to take up your cross to the point that I say I'm willing to lay my life down to follow after Christ. All believers are called to lay our lives down. So, some, as I said, are called to do this physically, to actually give up your own life. But we are all called to do this spiritually. We're called to deny ourselves. Now, you have to understand, our culture doesn't get this. Our culture doesn't understand why on earth you would deny yourself, because we still live in a culture that says, well, if it feels good, it can't really be bad. If something, if something feels good or if it feels right, then it must be okay. And, and maybe, maybe you're aware of some pop psychologists who say that to, to deny yourself your basic instincts, any, any urge that you might have can actually be harmful to you. Um, that, that's, I have a Greek word for that, and it's baloney. Okay? <laughs> it's baloney. It, there's, there's no one on earth who wouldn't get yourself into immense amounts of trouble if you followed every single instinct that you have. Because if you go with that mindset then, I'm in a, I'm in a, at, at the, the most basic level of evil, taking something that doesn't belong to you. If I'm in a store and I see a candy bar, which I, I like, and I want it, and I think it would taste good, but I don't have the money to pay for it, then that, that instinct would say, well, it's okay for me to take it. Because I believe that it's, I believe that, that that would be good for me. And, and our, even our society would look at that and say, well, no, you, you can't do that. And yet, in, in other areas, they want to say, well, there, you should have no restraint. Just, just let yourself do whatever, whatever feels right, whatever feels good. And the Bible says, no, there's something better than living just to do whatever feels right, whatever feels good, and that is to deny ourselves in order that, not, not just for the sake of denying ourselves. This is, where, this is where I think Christianity has gotten it wrong a lot. Because I think almost in, uh, for, for a long time, uh, Christianity operated under this idea that if it feels right, it must be wrong, right? If this feels good, then I definitely don't need to have any part in it. So it's not just, just denying ourselves for the sake of denying ourselves. It's denying ourselves to, to pursue a greater joy. Denying ourselves to pursue a greater joy. This is what Paul, or excuse me, this is what Jesus says in verse 25. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then verse 26 is, is, of course, one of the, some of the most famous words of Jesus. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul. You can let yourself experience a whole lot of things and, and gain the world, but if we're not following after Christ, none of that really matters in the end. None of it matters. Because no, no, no amount of wealth, no amount of fame, no amount of, of pleasure in this world lasts. 
It's all temporary. It's all passing away. What Jesus is here saying is that if we, if we follow after Christ, if we lay our life down and say, I am, I am nothing here. What, what I want doesn't ultimately matter. I'm going to pursue what Christ wants. He said, that's when you really find your life. That's when it makes sense. And so, listen, it's, it, I read one illustration that said it, was, it would be like having a cabin out in, uh, in the woods, up in the mountains, and having a beautiful stream that ran right past your cabin. Walking out one morning and taking in the beauty of, of the mountains and the cool crisp air, and instead of going to the stream for water, you go to a hole that you dug to collect water. That water's become stagnant, filled with mosquitoes and flies and all kinds of other stuff. And going and taking a cup and drinking out of that stagnant water rather than the cool stream. And yet that's exactly what we do when we choose to sin, when we choose some of the, some of the things that the world offers over the life that Christ offers. We, we are robbing ourselves of joy, robbing ourselves of, robbing God of glory when we choose the things that this world has over what he says. And he says, even if we lose our very lives for the sake of Christ, he promises that we'll find it. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. So, so that's the first thing. God's people deny themselves. Secondly, God's people die to certain desires. God's people die to certain desires. Now, this is where we're going to First uh, Peter. So if you will, turn with me to First Peter chapter 4. Verses 1 and 2, and you want to turn anywhere else, we'll, we'll be in 1 Peter 4 for the rest of our time this morning. We're going to talk a little bit more here about suffering for, for this, uh, the, the rest of our time together. 1 Peter 4, verses 1 and 2 says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Now this is kind of, it's kind of an interesting passage. It can be kind of a confusing passage. As he says, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So does that mean that if you've suffered for your faith, you're, you never sin again? No, I don't think so. I think what he's saying here is that to suffer for our faith has a refining effect on our faith. And, and through those times of suffering, Christ will be revealed to be of far greater value than anything the world has to offer. As a recommended resource for you, if you haven't already done it, um, I would highly recommend you read uh, a book called The Insanity of God by a, a guy named Nick Ripkin, N-I-K Ripkin. Um, it's not his real name. He, he took on uh, a pseudonym to protect his identity and to protect the identity of some of the people that he's worked with. Um, Nick, after serving in a, in a government relief organization in Somalia in the early 1990s, so if, you've, if you're familiar at all with the story of Black Hawk Down, uh, he was about a mile 
from where everything happened in, in that story. Um, working in Somalia, uh, in Mogadishu, uh, providing aid to some of the folks who were being neglected by their own government. Um, after that experience, um, he began to, to see some of the believers in, in the, the lives that they had under persecution. So he set out kind of on this journey to interview men and women who had experienced persecution for their faith. He, uh, and he traveled really all over the world to, to interview folks. Um, he interviewed some, some folks who uh, suffered persecution, imprisonment, torture under the old Soviet Union. Um, he interviewed believers in China who, who had served years there, and, and he interviewed um, believers in the Middle East who, who were suffering under um, the, some of the terrors that Islam uh, was bringing upon uh, believers. Fantastic story. In, in, one, in one case, uh, he even interviewed these believers who, uh, I believe it was in the Soviet Union, uh, for, for which when, when you were arrested as a believer in Christ, the standard sentence was three years for, for basically for believing, for, for having faith in Christ, being a believer in Christ. That standard sentence was three years. Um, these men considered that their seminary training. That their time in prison was their seminary training. In fact, he interviewed a, a, young, a couple of young men who had not yet gone to prison. And after he, he, had a, he had a good interview with them, and after he had talked to them, he was pulled aside by one of the older pastors and said, uh, said these, are, these are promising young men, but you can't believe what they say because they haven't been to prison yet. That was their training grounds. We were there three year or more years in prison. He talked to one man who had been sentenced three times to three years in prison. And then these men are released, and they then start pastoring churches out of their suffering experiences. Um, suffering has a refining effect on our faith. Now, now, I'm not saying that you need to go into a country where it's illegal and, and be illegal to share the gospel and be foolish in your attempts there in order to get yourself thrown into prison. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we need to understand suffering and, and God's purpose for it in the life of a believer. The Bible talks immensely about suffering. Um, and so we, we need to understand that we are in a fight, and oftentimes that fight is within ourselves. We, within ourselves against our own sinful desires. And that can be a, that can be a struggle, and there, there, is, there can be suffering that comes because of our fighting with sin. There's, there's all kinds of suffering. So, so you can suffer... Uh, directly because of persecution for, for being a believer. That's, that's one form of suffering. You can suffer uh, because of natural things that happen in our world. So that's where things like diseases and natural disasters would fall, things that we have no control over. And, and, and I don't think that natural disasters are God's judgment upon people. Okay? I, don't, I don't think Katrina was God's judgment upon New Orleans. I think that's a, that those are natural things that happen in, the, in a broken, fallen world in which we live. There's suffering that comes about because of those, suffering that, that can refine our faith if we properly understand suffering. And then there's suffering that comes about because of sin. Now, sometimes people suffer because they're stupid. Okay? Let, let, me, just say, let me just say that, right? So um, if you go and you rob a bank and you're arrested, you are not being persecuted because of your faith in Christ. Okay? You're being, you're being punished because you did a dumb thing. 
Same way with, you know, if you're driving 150 on the Springer Highway and you get pulled over, you cannot claim that you're being persecuted by police. No, no, you will go to jail because you're dumb. That's why, okay? So, so sin causes some suffering, and, and that's why we, have to, we need to war against these sinful desires. And, and sometimes, like I said, that, that warring itself can cause, can cause sufferings because we have things that we desire. And, and here's the thing, that's nothing new. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 7. And, and I love these words of, of Paul because it, it, they should allow us all to kind of exhale and go, I'm not the only one, right? He says this, for I do not understand my own actions, for I, do, for I do what I want, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. In other words, so, so there's this stuff I know that I shouldn't be doing, and I don't really want to do it, but that's what I do. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. I know it's all, it's all kind of confusing, right? So he's, here's what he's saying. He's saying there's this stuff over here that I, I know I shouldn't do. There's this stuff over here that I know I should do. I want to do this, but I keep doing this. He goes, and I don't get it. I don't know why. He said, I have the desire to do good, but I don't have the ability. And, and then he goes on and says this, this leads him to his realization of his need for Christ. He said, because on my own, I'm not going to choose the good. Uh, regardless of how much I may want to, I'm going to keep choosing the stuff that I know God has said no to that, that, I, that I shouldn't be doing. That's the stuff that I'm continually drawn to. He says, so th- this causes him to realize that he has a need for Christ. And as I said, this can be a struggle. That's why we say you have to die to these desires. We have to lay our lives down, and we have to war against these. Uh, John Owen, who is a pastor from the 1600s, said this, Always be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Always be killing sin, or it will be killing you. There's no just coasting along. And um, In our Sunday school class, back when we looked at, I believe it was the book of Hebrews, we talked about drifting. And, and in the Christian life, you don't naturally drift towards Christ. You, you don't just say, you know what, I don't really need to read my Bible, I don't need to pray, um, I, I don't need to do all that stuff. I think I'll just grow kind of on my own. Um, that, that doesn't happen. You know what happens if you just leave your field out and, and you know, don't really cultivate it, don't take care of it? Do you know the stuff that's going to grow there? It, it's not corn, it's not cotton. You're going to grow weeds. When, when we try to set cruise control in the Christian life, we, we don't drift towards Christ. We drift away from Christ. Why? Because, just like Paul said, I know there's stuff that I need to be doing, but that's not the stuff that I find myself doing often. To die to our desires in order that we might follow the path that Christ has for us. And here's the last thing. God's people do good as they suffer according to God's will. Now again, that according to God's will is is important because it's not just suffering because you you did something dumb. Suffering according to God's will. Look with me at uh, verses 12 through 19, Peter 4. 
Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Underline this, highlight it, stick it on your mirror. Do not be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you. I think this is, this is especially important today where we have a culture that is becoming increasingly hostile to those who hold uh, Christian beliefs, Christian values. Those who claim to be followers of Christ. We're seeing it uh, all over our nation right now. Folks whose businesses are being shut down, uh, mostly over the issue of gay marriage. Folks who are saying, no, I will not, our, our business will not cater to that. We will not perform those ceremonies and their businesses are being shut down. And, and a lot of believers are up in arms. And, and I think that's, that's a proper response. It, it's okay to be angry. It's not okay to be surprised when trials come, when persecution comes. Because Jesus talked a lot about persecution. And right here, Peter says, do not be surprised. So, so let me tell you something. And this is not for you to live in fear. This is not for you to uh, want to just shut yourself in your house, lock all the doors and never go out anywhere, because that's, that's not effective either. In this world, you will have trouble. Sound like familiar words? In this world, you will have trouble. We, we live in a world where, where bad stuff happens. We live in a world where there are diseases like cancer that, that are that, that's non-discriminating. We, we live in a world where, where we experience things like automobile accidents and where we have tragedies, natural disasters, stuff like that. Don't be surprised when that happens to you. Now, that doesn't mean that you, like I said, that you drive, that you ignore all safety laws and you just, you know, don't ever wear your seatbelt and go 100 miles an hour. It doesn't mean that, that you don't watch what you eat and say, well, I'm going to get cancer anyway. And uh, No, that's, that's not what I'm saying. You, we're called to take care of ourselves. We're called to, to be responsible citizens. But we also need to not be surprised when bad things happen because we live in a world that's broken, that doesn't operate the way that God has intended it to, where bad things happen. So we need to expect bad things to happen. Boy, this is an, this is an exciting message, isn't it? Look at verse 13, though. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So don't be surprised when trials and suffering happens. It's going to happen to you at some point or another. It's a, it's a part of life. But rejoice because you have an opportunity to share Christ's sufferings. And then verse 14, he's going to talk specifically about being, about suffering that comes in the name of Christ. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Verse 15, I'm glad he put this in here too. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. In other words, don't, don't claim that you're being persecuted when you do dumb things. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. We see this in the book of Acts. Early on, 
in the book of Acts, uh, when Peter and John are arrested for preaching uh, the, the name of Christ, for, for preaching his life, death, re- crucifixion, resurrection. They're arrested, they're beaten, and they're charged strictly, you shall not preach in his name anymore. And they're released from prison and we're told they went out rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. And you know what they did? They went right back to preaching. It's amazing. I mean, you look at that and you may go, these guys were insane. Maybe to a point, but but they knew in whom they have believed. And they counted, they they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. And so here Peter says, when you suffer, rejoice. Now this seems wild and this will baffle the world around us. When the cancer diagnosis comes, rejoice. Saw a great example of this um, back in 2009 when Matt Chandler, who pastors the Village Church in Dallas, a church that when he got there was running 160 and now runs 10 to 12,000 uh, people on a weekend. Um, and, and he's actually a solid Bible teacher. He, he's not preaching a prosperity gospel. And in 2009, uh, Thanksgiving morning, he got up, got his six-month-old, went down and had a cup of coffee, and had a seizure. Went down, they discovered a a very aggressive, advanced brain tumor, Um, and and he went in for surgery, they removed the brain tumor, and then he went through uh, several rounds of chemo radiation at at 35 years old when this happened. Um, He expressed his rejoicing in God to entrust that to him. And, and the media around Dallas really didn't know what to do with him. Because here he was having cancer, and he was saying, I'm, I'm rejoicing in this. And he, he did some interviews, and he said the, the, uh, the press would kind of scratch their heads and say, we don't understand what you're saying. Like, you, you, you just came down with a, with a brain tumor that for most people kills them in two years' time. And you're sitting here saying that you're rejoicing. He goes, well, let me be clear. I'm not excited. I'm not like, he said, I'm I'm not some, you know, masochist. Yes, cancer. Um, He said, but I believe that God is, has entrusted this to me. And that I can make much of him in my suffering. Like I said, the the media really didn't know what to do. He he made some national headlines and, and his response went, really global in, in the way that he handled that. And, and people didn't know what to do when he said, I, I'm rejoicing in God and praying that I make much of his name through this experience. That, that will baffle the world around us to rejoice in the midst of suffering. If you lose your job because you stand on the word of God, Rejoice. So real quickly, I, I want to look at three things as we wrap up here that, um, that suffering does. And I didn't put these on the, on the PowerPoint, so you can just um, jot them down really quickly. Um, th- three things that tell us about suffering. This, in verse 19 here, we see, uh, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So, so three things really quickly. First of all, suffering is for our good. I know that doesn't seem like, like a very nice statement, right? 
because suffering isn't fun. It's, it's painful. We don't like to suffer. But suffering is for our good. It refines our faith. Secondly, suffering is a testimony to the world. When we suffer and how we suffer preaches to the world. That's, that's where our, our faith has feet suddenly and, and where our beliefs really come out and make themselves known. is not when things are going well, but when things are going really, really bad. We see this in the Roman soldier uh, at the cross who after he watched uh, Christ suffer and die on the cross, we're told one of the soldiers proclaimed, surely this man was the son of God because he had just watched him suffer. Watch the way that he didn't lash out at his uh, killers like the others did. The way that we suffer is a testimony to the world. And, and the third thing is this, suffering glorifies God. Our response to suffering glorifies God. When we can say, like Job, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, now listen, as I said, that doesn't mean that we get excited when, when suffering happens. That doesn't mean that we need to be looking forward to the day that we're finally diagnosed with cancer. That, that's, that's not what I'm saying. Don't, don't get that. But, but it means that we understand that nothing happens outside the sovereign hand of God. And as we have the opportunity to suffer for the sake of the gospel, we can proclaim the gospel through suffering. We can glorify God through suffering. And our faith can be refined in a way that nothing else will do through suffering. Close this morning with this quote from Jim Elliott. Many of you will be familiar with his story. Um, missionary in 1956 who went to the jungles of Ecuador to reach a native tribe with the gospel of Christ. He and several of his companions were killed by the natives, speared to death. Later on, their wives end up going and ministering to the same tribe where their husbands were killed, end up winning many in that tribe to Christ. Some of the very men who killed their husbands came to Christ because of the witness of these women. Fantastic story. If you haven't seen the movie End of the Spirit, it tells it pretty well. Um, outstanding story. And this is what Jim Elliott said, who gave his life at 29 for the sake of the gospel. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Powerful words, particularly when we understand they came from a man who was willing to lay his life down for the sake of the gospel. That's what it means to be a crucified people. People whose lives are laid down. As uh, in Philippians chapter 2, we're, we're called to have the same mind among us that was in Christ Jesus, who laid his own life down, humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
The writer of Hebrews tells us that, that Christ laid his life down to the point of death on the cross. And he says he scorned the shame that came with the cross because he understood that there was greater joy in following the, the plan that God had for him. Same is true of us. Even in the painful moments, there's more joy when we follow the plan that God has for us. Let's pray together. Father, I pray this morning that we would be a people crucified. We would lay our lives down for your sake and for the sake of the gospel. That we would follow you on the good days and we would follow you this morning specifically as we've looked on the bad days. Those days when, when you've called us to suffer whether it be as a direct result because of our faith or simply because of the world in which we live. Help us to know what it means to suffer well, to have our faith refined through the fire of suffering. Give us strength when it comes. Give us patience. Give us the endurance. Above all, help us be grateful to you for every situation, every opportunity that you bring into our lives. As we suffer and as those around us suffer, even as we experience it, will we bring glory to you in order that our faith may be refined, that we may have opportunities to share the gospel with the world, and that your name would be glorified through our lives and our actions, even in the midst of suffering. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.